following recording is from Parramatta Christian Church. We pray that this message inspires you in your walk with Christ. lovely to be in the house this morning with um, my PCC family and if you're new this morning I just want to extend a warm welcome to you. Uh, My name is Josh, if you don't know me I've been coming to PCC with my family for about six or seven years and I also come with uh, my family friend, uh, my mum's friend Alina. So this morning it's my great and tremendous privilege to be sharing the word with you Uh, and usually I'm up here Uh, Maybe on a Friday night, and I'm usually talking to high schoolers, so I apologize in advance if uh, I drop in some slang or I I use some hip new words that I might have learnt off you, so I apologize for that. Uh, If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 1 this morning? The very start of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 1. And as you do that, why don't I pray before we get into God's Word. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you this Palm Sunday. We thank you that you sent your Son, Jesus, to die on a cross for us, to take our sin and our shame. Father, he is the reason we come and worship this morning. He is the reason we come and, and give you all the praise in our life. So Father, this morning as we open your Word and we sit under your Word, would your Holy Spirit be with us? Would your Holy Spirit be near to us? Would you be opening our minds and softening our hearts to listen to what you have to say to the Word? Father, as I speak, would you anoint um, my head with oil, as it, as it were? Would you, uh, would you season with salt the words that come out of my lips to edify your people? If anything I speak is of myself and not of you, let it be quickly forgotten. But if anything is of you, let it be remembered forever. Father, we pray all this in your son's name and for his glory. Amen. Amen. Well, have you ever been, or have you ever felt forgotten? Have you ever felt forgotten? Now, the time was about 3.05 on a hot summer's day, and the school bell rang, and I raced outside uh, with my huge backpack, so it was probably like this, uh, and a tie that was probably way too long and sweeping the floor. And I looked eagerly along the street because, you know, dad was going to pick me up. How exciting. I was going to get home early, do whatever I was, I was going to do in the afternoon, and it was going to be great. Now, 3.15 came, and I was still standing there. And my friends, they've rushed out, they've said hi, bye, uh, and they've run, they've got in their cars with with their parents, and they've gone home, and I'm still sitting there. 3.30 3.30 comes, and I'm like, oh, where is he? Where is he? Has, he? has he really forgotten that he's going to pick me up today? And, well, 3.45, and I'm like, oh, he's just caught in a huge traffic jam. You know, Parramatta Road, Victoria Road, it can get pretty bad. By 4 o'clock, I am convinced that he's completely forgotten. He thought that he's mixed up the days or something like that. And so I pull out my, you know, hip little Nokia brick phone with its 2G connection, And I dial, and it rings, and it rings, and a voice picks up, hello? And I'm like, where are you? And the voice replies, where are you? I'm at the station waiting for you. 
I had felt forgotten, but of course, Dad hadn't really forgotten me. I, we still haven't worked out whether it was my fault or his, but <laughs> jury's still out on that one. Have you ever felt forgotten? As we come to Matthew chapter 1 this morning, Matthew writes to Jewish people who have been or have felt forgotten for a long time. For thousands of years, a promised Messiah, a promised Savior was meant to come through their line, coming to save them. You see, they were under the, the, the rule of the Romans and they'd previously been under the oppression of the Babylonians and they'd longed as God's people for a Savior who would come a savior who would make all things new, a savior who would set the captives free. But they've been waiting. 700 years earlier, uh, about there, the prophet Isaiah had spoken so vividly and so clearly. He'd spoken of, of this suffering servant who would come and die for the people and set them free. A, a righteous king who would come in his rule and reign, and restore rule and reign to his people. But there's been waiting and waiting. 400 years earlier, as far as we know in our Bibles, God has basically stopped speaking. He'd been speaking through the prophets for some time, but he basically hasn't said anything up until this point. Oh, would these people have felt forgotten. Generation would come and go and they would tell of this coming, coming king, this coming savior, but the generations would die out and he wouldn't come. And it's into this context that Matthew writes these words, and we're going to be reading from verse 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Aminadab, Aminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam the father of Abijah, Abijah the father of Asa, Asa the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat the father of Jehoram, Jehoram the father of Uzziah, Uzziah the father of Jotham, Jotham the father of Ahaz, Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, Manasseh the father of Ammon, Ammon the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. Verse 12, after the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel the father of Abihud, Abihud the father of Eliakim, Eliakim the father of Azor, Azor the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Achim, Achim the father of Elihud, Elihud the father of Eliezer, Eliezer the father of Mathen, Mathen the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus who is called the Messiah. Thus, there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. Into this context, Matthew writes a long list of names, what we call a genealogy, what the Bible calls a genealogy, which was a list of, it was like a family tree, a list of parents and fathers from whom 
this Jesus, the Messiah, had come about. It's a bit odd, you think, for people who have been waiting, people who have been suffering, that that's what you would write. But I want to encourage you all this morning that within this list of names, this list of names which perhaps we fast forward or glance over, especially at the start of the year when we're doing the Bible reading plan, (laughs) from this list of names, Matthew paints a beautiful picture and an encouragement for us in times of suffering, times of waiting, and times when we have felt forgotten by God. So the first encouragement this morning we're going to be looking at is you can't see the full picture. You can't see the full picture. We go back to Matthew 1 and we read the first few verses. It says, This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And verse 3 says, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. See, if you read through this Matthew 1 genealogy, you see a list of fathers. And in that context and at that time, men were considered to be of more value than women. Men were considered to have higher standing than women. And women really didn't rate a mention in these long histories, in these genealogies. And if they did rate a mention, then they would have to be fairly significant or prominent. They would have to have some reason to be remembered. But if we read this genealogy, the heroes of the nation of Israel, the the female uh, heroes which they would lift up and look at and say, wow, I would love my daughters to be like them, the Sarahs, the Rebeccas, the Rachels, perhaps the Leahs, don't appear. But yet, who does appear? See, Matthew includes this character Tamar, who was a woman who lived and suffered much. We're going to be looking at her story a little bit this morning. Her story is found in Genesis chapter 38, and it's, it's a little bit long, and so I'm going to have to give you the quick version this morning. So, uh, Doug, if we could hit up to the next slide. We all know Jacob, and Jacob was the father of Israel. He was, in fact, given the name Israel by God. Jacob had 12 sons, and the fourth of whom was Judah. Judah had three sons, and we'll just call them son number one, number two, and number three uh, this morning. And son number one was married to Tamar. Tamar wasn't related to them. Tamar wasn't... I guess by blood, part of God's people, but she was probably a Gentile married into this family. And she marries son number one, and you can kind of imagine that she'd probably be pretty excited marrying into this family. If if you remember from Genesis, uh, Jacob has done a bit of a number on his uncle, after his uncle did a couple of numbers on him, and uh, has become very successful. He's become very successful. He's got lots and lots of cattle, which was... You know, money in those days. And so Tamar is marrying the grandson of a big shot. Life looks great. Things are looking up. She's married to the heir of a son of a great empire. She would probably have been looking forward to raising up heirs of her own. Raising up a family and propagating the family line as would her duty be in those days. But tragedy strikes, tragedy strikes, and in an instant, her hopes and dreams vanish. 
Because son number one turned out to be wicked before the Lord. And we're not given much more context, but the Bible says the Lord struck him dead. Imagine the, in an instant, all your hopes, all your dreams just vanish. But in those days, as was customary, she would be given in marriage to son number two. And if you know the story of, say, Ruth, who also appears in this list, that's very similar. She was given in marriage to son number two for, I guess, two, at least two reasons in those days. One would be to, because she didn't raise up an heir with son number one, um, to raise up an heir for the family. And second, because she would be a widow in those days, she would otherwise be destitute. And she would be reliant on her family, or on her husband, to provide. Okay, she's married to son number two, but son number two turns out to be wicked as well. The Lord strikes him dead too. And now Judah sees this and he's like, well, son number three is too young, so you can go back to your family. So he sends her away to her family and she puts on her widow's clothes. She's there for years, years pass, because, until son number three is old enough to be married. But Judah, you see, he's a bit of a statistician. He likes to look at the statistics. And he says, well, she married son number one, uh, didn't end, up, didn't end up, out, up so well. Son number two, same thing kind of happened. She seems to have a strike rate of 100%. <laughs> so my one and only son left, my only chance to produce an heir, nah, nah, she's not getting, he's not getting. So she's there in her father's house. She's there in her widow's clothing. She's there without real hope or future. And she's been betrayed and abandoned by the family that have been supposed to take care of her, her husband's family. She gets so desperate, so desperate. You can imagine the, the, the rumors that must have been going around. Oh, did she kill her, her husbands? She must be a cursed woman. And that's what her father-in-law thought. Imagine the hurt, the betrayal, being hung out to dry like that. And in her desperation, she puts on, uh, she dresses up as a pagan prostitute, which is really confronting to us in our, our culture. And pagan prostitutes wore a veil at the time, and so through the whole process, no one really knew who they were. And it so happened she manages to solicit the business of her father-in-law. And from that one encounter, she produces twins, which are Perez and Zerah, who we read about in Matthew. And as far as we know, that's the whole of Tamar's story. As far as, as far as Genesis is concerned, that's it. Is that a happy ending? I don't know. She's got two twins, which I guess she's thankful for, so she has some hope, but she still doesn't have a husband. She's been twice widowed. The pain that she's gone through, I don't know if that's a happy ending. Now, I certainly hope that, at least for those of you who are married this morning, that you don't have that same sort of relationship with your in-laws. <laughs> I really hope that. Um, <laughs> but perhaps you identify with some of Tamar's story. Perhaps you, you've been betrayed before or hurt by people who have been supposed to look after you. Perhaps you've once held high hopes and dreams for what your future and what your life would look like but they haven't eventuated. 
Maybe it hasn't been because of your sin, maybe not even because of anyone else's sin, but things just haven't worked out the way you expected. You've come to a place of hurt and suffering and anguish. Maybe you feel, just maybe, that perhaps God has forgotten you. But when we come to Matthew 1, it gives us hope. Come to Matthew 1, it gives us um, the hope that things are going to be not like that because Matthew says that Tamar's story doesn't end in Genesis. Tamar's story doesn't end with her death. It doesn't even end with with her offspring. But no, Tamar's story extends. And in fact, her story is just one link in a huge chain to Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah. Now you see, if you think about it, not in spite of Tamar's suffering, not even despite Tamar's suffering, but because of her suffering, Jesus Christ came in the glorious way that he did. You see, if, if son number one was never wicked, Tamar never gets married to son number two. If son number two is not wicked, she doesn't get sent away. If Judah doesn't abandon her, and not let her marry son number three, she never gets into this, I dress up as a prostitute business, and produce Perez and Zerah. And if Perez is never born, Christ doesn't come in the glorious way that he does. Church, this morning, what might God be doing in our story? We can only see the pain in front of us. We can only see what we're going through right now. Oh, but I want to encourage you this morning from Matthew, that's not how your story ends. In fact, you might not be able to see the full picture and you might never see the full picture on this side of eternity. You might go to the grave not understanding why God, why this or why that. But our God works a thousand wonderful things through our pain. Our God is always achieving his purposes no matter our situation, no matter how down and out and hurt we feel. God has not forgotten us. Are we okay with that? Are we okay with sitting in that difficult position of not knowing what he's doing? Will we trust him and surrender with our lives? Encouragement number two this morning. God's not ashamed of our suffering, share it, share it. As we come to, to Matthew 1, we, we read of this tale of how the, the king of the universe, the, the son of God himself, came from generation to generation. But this, this son of God could have come through any line. He could have chosen any parentage, any pedigree that he would have liked to come. But yet notice the the names that appear here. You have Tamar, the the twice-widowed prostitute. You uh, You have Ruth, the widow. You have Rahab, who was a prostitute of great faith. You have David, who, yes, was a man after God's own heart, but he was messed up too. He was a murderer, an adulterer. From him, a line of idolaters, people, evil kings evil dictators that 
really didn't care for their people or didn't care for worshipping God. Jesus came from a line of people who suffered under great oppression after the exile to Babylon. You see, our, our king who we celebrate this morning, our king who we celebrated Easter, he could have come from any line, but he came from a line of people who are suffering, a line of people who are downcast, the lowly. And it shouldn't be any surprise after Matthew 1, as we get into the rest of Matthew, that in his earthly ministry, who does Jesus spend most of his time with? The downcast, the lowly, the leprous who are cast out, the tax collectors who, yes, amounted riches for themselves, but were despised by their own people. See, Jesus isn't afraid of a little suffering. He's not afraid of your suffering this morning. Because our God is a God over all situations, over the lowly and the despised. And if that's you this morning, I want to encourage you, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus hasn't changed. Later on in in this Matthew chapter 1, Jesus is given the name Emmanuel, God with us. Indeed, in your situation, whatever you're going through, he is with you. He is with you. Now for us, especially for, for some of us, like myself, who come from maybe ethnic cultures that are quite honor-shame driven. We come to the church and we put on our, our masks or our facades that, you know, everything is good. We, we come in at morning and say, how are you going? Good, good, yes, yes. But inside, things might be happening. Inside, things might be hurting. But we're a little bit afraid to share. But Jesus wasn't ashamed to, to be with his people. And so neither should we be ashamed to share our suffering and be vulnerable with our brothers and sisters. Over the last, I guess, 12 or 24 months at PCC, uh, things have been quite tough for us here. Uh, we individually and, I guess, corporately as a body. It's been a hard time through COVID and besides COVID, everything else. We've lost dear loved ones. We've gone through sickness. We've gone through hard times. Many of us have lost jobs or looking for jobs. But in this time, I've been really encouraged by some of you all, my brothers and sisters here, for the things that you've said to me. Just opening up and sharing about your vulnerabilities, sharing up about what's really happening in your life and your troubles. And so I'd like to share with you this morning um, some of the things that some of you have said to me that really encouraged me. And I've sort of anonymized them, so, um, but you might know who you are. So uh, one of you had a family tragedy and had spent some time after that looking for work. But I was at morning tea, and it really encouraged me. And you just told me about it. And we don't usually talk that often, but you, you told me, and you said these words. You said, I'm not worried. God's got it. God's got it. What, a, what an encouragement to my own faith. One of you didn't have any guarantee of work week in, week out, but always comes to church with a smile on your face and says, it's not my work, it's my father's work. Another of you were in an accident and said, I don't even ask God why, but I trust him and I'm grateful um, for, for how he's already healing me. And yet another of you had a sick family member and said, I'm just at so much peace right now. 
I have, I have faith, and, and I'm not usually like this, but this is an amazing wake-up call for me to reorient my life and my priorities to God. Church, what faith, what audacity to proclaim God's goodness and trust in Him, even in hard times. Church, I'd love us to be a church that's like that. Church, I want to encourage you that at morning tea, when you open up, you're edifying a fellow brother or sister. You're encouraging them. Maybe uh, they will too go through difficult circumstances and they will remember how God has been faithful to you. When a high, one of our high schoolers comes up to you and just asks how you're going and you take the time to say more than just good, thank you, uh, but you, you, you take the time to open up and share with them what's on your heart. You not only affirm what the Bible says in Acts when it says that through many tribulations we should enter the kingdom of God, you steal their faith for the future. You could be encouraging uh, a, a mighty man or woman of God who will take the gospel to the nations. When, when we go to, go to work or go to school and we're open and vulnerable with our non-believing friends, with our non-believing colleagues, we show them that Christianity isn't about judgment. Christianity isn't just about um, judgment. Uh, Christianity is not just about putting on a strong face. It's not about things are all rosy and things are great. But when you're vulnerable, they see that you trust God even in the hard times. You might not be able to, to confidently share the gospel with them. You might jumble up um, your theology. They might get confused. They might be like, well, why are there three gods? Are there one, three? I don't really get that. But when you share your vulnerabilities with them and they see a joy that's not of this world, they see joy in your risen savior, there's no denying that. There's no denying that. It doesn't matter what history says. It doesn't matter whether the Bible is fake news or good news. When you share your faith in that way, people relate. People see something and they might just say, I want that. They might just ask you, how is it that you're this cheerful? How is it that you can come to work with a smile every day when you're going through so much? They might just want to know your Jesus. Don't be ashamed of your suffering because Jesus isn't. Share it. Our next encouragement this morning is that suffering is never for nothing. Suffering is never for nothing. And this is probably one of the more difficult encouragements. Because you see, as we come back to Matthew chapter 1, there's 14 generations, verse 17 says. 14 generations of waiting. That's a long time. It's a long time. And as we said before, generation would come and go and they wouldn't see their Savior. They wouldn't see their Messiah. And they would be left thinking, what hope is there? Why this? Why hasn't he come sooner? Have you forgotten us, God? But in all of that, in all of that, you can imagine the fathers and the mothers telling the kids, kids, there's a savior coming. Kids, hope is on its way. Slowly but surely in this people, hope is building. Hope is arising. Faith is being built up. And in our suffering and our hard times, it, we groan, don't we? 
it's real. It's hard to, to lay on the bed at night with so many worries going through your mind. It's hard to lay when your heart is so sunken and, and sore for what's happening in your life. It's hard. But I want to encourage you this morning, church, that it's okay to groan. In fact, it's God calls us to groan. Uh, Doug, if we could get the next slide up, please. In Romans chapter 8, which is a, a passage that some of you, or we all know and love, it says this. It says, For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. See, in this, this passage, in a larger context, is written in the context of suffering, in the context of hard times. And yet, in, this, in these times, Paul calls us to groan, and later would say the Spirit in us groans with us. Yes, groan. This morning, we're not minimizing suffering. We're not minimizing pain, but we groan. We groan. But why do we groan? It's because we eagerly await the adoption, the redemption of our bodies. See, in in Matthew, the people of Israel groaned for their Messiah, for their Savior. Now, our Savior has come, but yet in our broken, broken world, in our hurt, We too groan, not for our Messiah to come, but we groan for eternity with him. And yes, he will come again, or he will take us home, but either way, if we trust in him, we will spend eternity with him. And as we groan, we realize that this world and the things of this world are not all there is. We have a greater hope. I'm sure lots of you know friends or or colleagues who have come to to Christ because there was some hard time in their life, some unbearable pain in their life, and and maybe the doctors gave a diagnosis that was completely bleak. Maybe there were situations beyond their control, and yet they begged any supernatural force to come and save them. And maybe in that time, they came to Christ. They groaned and it was building in them an eager longing for a hope and a home beyond what they could see. And church, so I want to encourage you this morning that in our hurt, our groaning is producing something greater for us. Our groaning is producing in us a hope. 2 Corinthians 4 says this, it says, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison." as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. We groan and we build hope. We groan and we realize that the the next fashion trend, the next device, the next consumer product isn't all there is to life, but that we will spend eternity with him, and that is where our hope is found. Finally, church, last encouragement this morning is that God has not forgotten you. You might feel forgotten. You might be, have prayed time and time again for God to intervene, but he hasn't forgotten you. 
So if you've been following, we've said that Jesus and God is not ashamed of your suffering. We said that maybe he, he won't intervene in your situation the way that you expect, but he might have a greater plan for your life. We've said that we might never know or understand why we're going through what we are. And if, if you're, you're sitting there and you're thinking about it a little moment, you're like, wait, you're asking me to hope in a God that I can't see, you're ask, who might not intervene in my circumstances, who might never show me why I'm going through all of this? That's, that's some hope. It doesn't seem real. It's not hope I can hold on to. That's no encouragement at all. But friends, there is one who understands what we're going through. There is one who came and suffered for us. Church, look to the cross. Look to the cross. Matthew ends his list of names with Jesus the Messiah coming. And this Jesus who would love the sick, love the outcast, love the hurting, This perfect, sinless Jesus, the Son of God, would go to the cross to die for you and for me, to bear our guilt and our shame. He died hanging on that Roman cross, and as as his nails were driven into his hands and his feet, as a crown of thorns was placed on his head, in his anguish and his suffering, the Father looked as all sin was placed on Him and turned His face away. And in that moment of despair, in that first moment from eternity past where He was separated from the Father, He cried, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, church, in that moment, in that moment, the Son of God was crucified was separated from the Father so that you and I would never be separated from the Father. He was forsaken by the Father so that we would never be forgotten by the Father. He's died alone on the cross, but God will always be with us. See, friends, He didn't just stay dead. He didn't just stay dead and buried, but He was the Son of God. He rose from the grave He conquered sin and death. And so knowing this, friends, that whether in death or in life, we will be with Him. We will be together with God the Father. That's not all, church. He he rose from the dead. And after He rose from the dead, He ascended to heaven and seated at the right hand of the Father. Above all rule and power and authority and dominion, everything is under Him. And He sent us His Holy Spirit, or as Rohan preached the other day, His Holy Spirit dwells within us. The very Spirit of God dwells within us. How can He have forgotten us? The Spirit groans with us, the Spirit prays with us as we don't know how to pray. How can He have forgotten us? Because He died for our, in our place, our names are forever written in the, land, in the book of life, the eternal book of life. God has not forgotten us. And as Anoj preached, He will come again. Our Savior King will come again and for all eternity we will reign with Him. Church, whatever your situation, 
look to the cross. Look to the cross. Yes, when you doubt God's faithfulness, count your many blessings. See how He's been faithful to you in the past. Yes, do that. Yes, read your Bible. Yes, come to Matthew 1 and see how God has been faithful to Israel time and time again. Yes, do that. But more than all that, more than all that, if you need hope to hold on to, if you need any greater evidence that God has not forgotten you, look to the cross. Look to the cross. Friends, this morning, we're going to pray in a moment and the band's going to lead us in worship. But if that word spoke to you this morning, if Holy Spirit's encouraging you this morning, maybe you're going through a difficult time or a difficult period. If you're online and it's hard, friends, reach out. Friends, we want to invite you and the elders will be up here to to pray for you. Come and, and we will stand and pray with you because God has not forgotten you. In your hurt and your hardship, God has not forgotten you. Look to the cross, friends. Father God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that we have no other need than than to be reconciled to you and he's done that for you. So how much more will you have not forgotten us today? How much more in our lives, in our suffering, are you not walking with us? Or how much more will you use our lives in wondrous ways that we can't imagine or understand? Father, we humbly come before you this morning in full surrender to you. We come with our our hands and our palms open and our lives before you. Oh, use us, Lord, we trust you. Use us, Lord, however you wish. We thank you for the salvation that you've given us in Jesus. We thank you for the cross. Let's worship together. for listening to the Parramatta Christian Church podcast. To hear other sermons or to find out more about our church, please visit our website at pcc.org.au.